So hey guys, we're back and we have a new one for you. Right into January, we're gonna get right into it. As you know, our last uh, interview in January, uh, or beginning in January, was with our good friend uh, David DeHaas and the Arizona, the Tombstone Mystique. Make sure you go back and listen to those two, uh, one in December and one in January. Uh, today we have David A. Wolf on the phone. He's written a book called Seth Bullock, Black Hills Lawman. Uh, before we talk to David, I want to thank my friends at the Wild West History Association at wildwesthistory.org. If you want uh, true Western history and, and belong to a group of people, that's the big thing is belong to a group, a club, whatever you want to call it, a group of people that are interested in Western history with true provenance, not, you know, the movie or made up stuff or whatever. You know, and you want to belong to a group that is in the true research and deep research of history. And some of the biggest historians out there belong to this, including John Bosnecker um, and Marshall Trimble and all sorts of wonderful people. Linda Womack, you know, they're all in the Wild West History Association. And you can join by going to wildwesthistory.org. I also want to thank my good friends, uh, Eric and uh, Mark over at the Tombstone Epitaph, one of Arizona's longest-running newspapers at uh, tombstoneepitaph.com. If you like me and you like a newspaper and you like it delivered right to your door that's got some great stories and history in it, please subscribe uh, and become a subscriber of uh, Tombstone Epitaph at the tombstoneepitaph.com. Welcome, sir. Welcome, David. How are you? Good, Mike. Thanks for having me on the show. And Glad to talk to your folks through the podcast. Sure. I mean, you wrote, the book has been out since, I think, 2009. Um, a while, yeah. It's been out a while. But, you know, it, it reappears, and it reappeared uh, in a magazine or a newspaper article, and I was like, I got I to gotta reach out to this guy. And we did, and we've had a lot of pre-interviews and stuff. And I'm super excited because a couple of years ago, I went to Deadwood, and honestly, I spent three days in Deadwood, and it was not enough. Like, I just did not spend enough time. Unfortunately, I went ill-prepared. Like, as much as you try to go online and read about it, uh, I just was ill-prepared, and I should have. I wish I would have found this book sooner. Now, if you're interested in this book, again, it's uh, David A. Wolf. He's written a book called The Black Hills, excuse me, Seth Bullock, Black Hills Lawman. You can find it at Amazon. Uh, it sells for around $12.95. You can get it also at booksellers and order it if you choose. If you like to shop at small uh, mom-and-pop bookstores, which I urge you to do. But in case you're in an area where shipping is expensive, maybe you're overseas, you're in Europe, you're in Australia, you know, go on to Amazon and get it. It sells for $12.95. And again, his book is called Seth Bullock, Black Hills Lawman. <clears throat> you... um. Obviously, the book was published um, long after you'd written it. It was looks like it was published by the South Dakota State Historical Society, and it was in, it was part of an ongoing series. How long did it take you to work on the? Or actually, before we get into that, tell us a little bit about you and your other books that you've written. Okay, well, thanks, Mike. I, I I'm retired from a, being a history professor at Black Hill State University in Spearfish, and. Luckily, that's on the northern tip of the Black Hills, uh, South Dakota. That's a great place to do Black Hills history, uh, especially Deadwood history. I live 12 miles from Deadwood, so I 
have gone to Deadwood a lot and researched there a lot. And, and I got an interest in the Black Hills history because this is where my family is from. So I was lucky I was able to get a job back in the Black Hills. And I, my dad, I grew up in the Black Hills. Anyway, so it's been in my soul for a long time. And uh, so for years I've been doing this. And, and this is one of a series of research projects I've done on the Black Hills. So, but I was invited to write this book uh, by the state, uh, South Dakota State Historical Society because they are doing, as you mentioned, a biography series, a biography series that includes a, a book on Laura Ingalls Wilder. Uh, there's a, a very nice combined biography they did on Calamity Jane and Wild Bill, which are our good departed friend that Jim McLaird wrote. And the Seth Bullock book is amongst that series. There's also a book on Hugh Glass and others. So it's a nice little series. Like you said, they're inexpensive and they can, you can take them with you. They're small books. I was invited to write it by the, by the press. I was happy to do it because Seth Bullock is one of those guys in Deadwood lore. There's a lot of stories about Bullock that just aren't true. And so part of the book, I correct some of those and try to come up with the real story. And, 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 and it is called Seth Bullock Black Hills Lawman. But in reality, he did so much more. He was only a sheriff in Deadwood, Deadwood's first sheriff for Lawrence County's first sheriff for nine and a half months. But he went on and became a forest supervisor. He was a U.S. Marshal. He ran a mining company. He built a hotel. He helped create the town of Belfouche, north of the Black Hills. He did lots of things. So he's quite a fascinating guy. And, and he stands out as one of those most prominent citizens of Deadwood. Uh, but Deadwood, of course, as you mentioned, you spent three days there. It wasn't really enough. And Deadwood does have what I call layers of history. Tourists can walk into Deadwood, and because there's gaming allowed in Deadwood, they'll see casino after casino, and they'll be done in Deadwood in two hours and say, "What? What a what a ripoff this was!" But you have to look deeper. Uh, there's history on every block and every street, and you have to kind of dig into it. Visit the very fine museums there. Uh, Adams Museum, uh, Days of 76 Museum. They have wonderful two visitor centers that give good information. And then there are books like the Seth Bullock book that point you to the interesting characters. And the Calamity Jane, well, Bill book, of course, they're both buried up at Mount Moriah, right next to each other, conveniently enough, uh, just above Deadwood. And I've written another book about a guy that really saved Deadwood, one of the more important figures who nobody knows about called uh, James K.P. Miller, the savior of Deadwood. And that book came out just a few years ago. Uh, and it was really a, a labor of love because Miller brought in the first railroad. He brought in the first gold processing plant. He built the biggest grocery store in the Black Hills in Deadwood. He was a true town builder. Bullock was more of a public servant. And it was fun to write Bullock as a public servant whereas Miller was more of the commercial man. And interestingly, they had uh, their businesses, they both ran businesses, were just across the street from each other. So they know each other well, and I do tie that together in the Miller book. So, And then I'm working on other projects in Deadwood, as well as the Black Hills in general. Uh, so it's been an interesting time studying the Black Hills and, and doing other projects. Like I have an article coming out this summer on the, a very large sawmill operation called the Warren Lamb Sawmill out of Rapid City. But that's just, that's digressing because that's that shows, I just want to show that as a kind of various interest I have in the Black Hills. Uh, but can what I else would you like to know, Mike? But can I ask you though, what is your research style? Because, you know, I know I, it, people that have listened to, 
in my podcast, and there's a lot of them, I always ask the research style because I'm always interested in that part. Are you a onliner? Are you somebody who goes into the archives? How do you and how did you research for the Seth Bullock site? Well, the Seth Bullock uh, book came out before uh, like newspapers.com existed before these online newspaper sources existed. And so you have to go to the museums and the archives, the places that have the collections and try to trace down the leads, which I did. I do that. You always have to do that, regardless if you go online or not. There's lots of material that's not online. And luckily, the Adams Museum has a nice archives in Deadwood. Uh, the university I work at, used to work at, here in Spearfish Black Hill State has a nice archives. I checked those out, went to the University of Wyoming. They have a little bit of Bullock material. Uh, and so you do the archives. You read all the other stuff that's been written. And luckily, Seth Bullock uh, wrote a little story of early Deadwood, uh, a small little book. It talks about kind of his experiences, but a lot about Deadwood in general. And, of course, he pops up in a lot of other books written uh, as memoirs and remembrances of the Black Hills, some of which have some falsehoods in, but he pops up a lot. Well, then uh, I didn't have access to online newspapers at the time, but I did have access to the microfilm copies of the Black Hills Daily Times. So I diligently read through many, many, many months of newspapers trying to get out the information uh, on Bullock in the newspaper. Now, I think my book has a mistake or two because I didn't have deeper access to newspapers because they are an invaluable source. And now because of newspapers.com, you can check things out a little more deeply. You know, you, you can't rely solely on newspapers because of their bias, but you get, uh, if you can find another way, you can use them to check other sources. But if that's the only source you have on the newspaper, you can see if, you you know, you can look at it. Does that make sense? Does that fit? And is that something I can use? So nowadays, the online newspapers are just a godsend. But you have to, you can't ignore the other sources, the firsthand, the primary sources from books, archives, uh, even the secondary sources. Uh, if the person like Bullock wrote a, uh, you know, Bullock left a lot of letters, too, and, and uh and those weren't available to me. They were in a private collection at the time. And I contacted the person who held them, and he would not share. He wanted to sell them. And now since then, they've been sold a couple of times, and Deadwood did acquire some of them, and I've looked at them since. Uh, but luckily, Bullock's grandson wrote a book using these letters before they were sold by the grandson's widow. Uh, and... Uh, he published a book called Seth Bullock Frontier Marshal. And what that book does, it just compiles kind of quotes out of these letters and he'll, he'll cite whole letters. And thank goodness he did that because that allowed me access to these letters. I was denied otherwise. Mm -hmm. And that was very helpful. So you've got to kind of search everywhere you can on your topic. Uh, for instance, when I did the stuff on him being a, uh, the forest supervisor when he was in charge of Black Hills National Forest, I had to go to the National Forest Records in the Black Hills here and see what I could find. And you find little stuff. So you have to hit every avenue possible to get together a good comprehensive work. Now, the, the other book I wrote, James K.P. Miller, he did not leave a, a strong trail of material like Bullock did uh, in primary documents. 
and he wasn't as mentioned as much in other books by people who wrote about early deadhood. So I had to rely more on newspapers than I was probably comfortable with. But he was in the newspapers a lot. Because he was important to early Deadwood, and that did help. And thank goodness for newspapers.com and the, and the, and the uh, Library of Congress collection, Chronicling America. The, those things are just wonderful sources. So that's kind of my, my technique. Be as broad as possible, but make sure you use the material wisely. But in your research, and I ask every historian this, the first interview, the first time we interview, if, if the second time we talk, it'll never come up again. But in... In your research, do you find out or find that as you're researching Seth Bullock, another name appears and another name and another name, and then you think to yourself, holy cow, I've got this other name with tons of notes and stuff. I have enough to write another book about this person, or do you stay right on focus? Oh, no. You know, as a historian, you always get sidetracked. And, and of course, Seth Bullock had a partner, Saul Starr. Uh, and, and he was really the businessman who kind of ran their, they had a hardware store, of course. That was their basis. And, and they opened, in fact, several hardware stores, which were called Star and Bullock. And they ran a ranch north of the Black Hills where the town of Belfouche was eventually established, which was called the S&B, uh, outfit. The S&B ranch had various names, all because of Star and Bullock, the partnership. So I, I gathered material on Star and I thought in about, working on Saul Star, but he just does not engage me as much as Bullock. Now, the other name I did come up again was like James K.P. Miller, the other guy I wrote the book about it. And I already had a, a, a good chunk of research on that guy, so that really contributed to me. Other names in Deadwood that pop up that you see that uh, Bullock was involved with, uh, some include people like Harris Franklin, his name pops up, or, or W. Adams, and of course W. Adams started the Adams Museum, and Harris Franklin was the big promoter of the big hotel in Deadwood, the Franklin Hotel, and I'd love to do something on Harris Franklin. Uh, he left no records behind that I can find, and I'm right now trying to find his business connections. He had a business connection in Chicago, a guy named Samuel Allerton. And I'm trying to see if Allerton, there's any Allerton records that can connect me back to Harris Franklin. Uh, and so when those people are harder to research than a guy like Bullock, who was fairly public and wrote some about his members of Deadwood or Miller, who was in the paper all the time. So yes, you do come up with other names. You do get other material. You get this other interest that sidetracks you and you think I need to do something with that someday. So it's all, it's all, uh, it's all good fun. It's all in the chase. Well, I'm going to sidetrack you. <laughs> and just briefly, I don't want to spend a lot of time because it could be a, I'm hoping it'll be a podcast on its own. I was intrigued when I researched about you and that you wrote a book called Industrializing the Rockies. And please oh, forgive me. I, it's between two towns. I cannot remember the other one. But the other one that you wrote about that I remember was Ludlow, Colorado. What was the other yeah. town? And can you, I mean, very briefly talk about it? Because uh, on my trip to Rapid City... I saw the Ludlow turnoff, and I was recommended by many people to, to stop and see Ludlow and take pictures of the town and take pictures of, of the monument, which I did do. Can you explain just very briefly? Because I, I do want to do an interview just about that book. Well, just as the Rockies, you know, I, I 
my first love is mining history. I'm quite involved in the Mining History Association. I go to all the annual, or most of the annual meetings, and uh, I've served on very, anyway. And so my first major research project, which started back in graduate school, uh, was researching coal mining in Wyoming, which grew into studying the origins and the development of coal mining in southern Wyoming and along the front range of Colorado, which extended from all the way from the northern Colorado coal fields north of Denver all the way down to Trinidad and uh, in southern Colorado, which, of course, incorporated Ludlow. And, and it also extends, you know, that southern Wyoming includes Rock Springs. Well, Rock Springs in 1885 had the great Rock Springs Massacre, where 23 Chinese were killed by a white revolt. Uh, then Ludlow, of course, you know, had the Ludlow Massacre, where the, the women and children were killed in what they call the death pit. In fact, I just stopped at Ludlow uh, last month on my way down to Tucson, on a trip uh, to visit family, but uh, so it's a, it's an exciting story of of coal mine labor, coal mine development, labor relations. As you probably know, seventy percent of the cost of coal back in the turn of the early twentieth century, late nineteenth century, was labor. So labor intensive industry fostered labor relations that some kind could be problematic, and we that's why you have the violent strikes in Colorado. That's why I have anti-Chinese sentiment sentiment rise up in Wyoming. So that was my first major research project, and it became my first book. And a, and a, and a good project, a fun, interesting study. Uh, I gotta, we'll have to do one about that, because I'm intrigued by it. If you're wondering who we're talking to, we're talking to David Wolf, David A. Wolf. He has written a book. It is out now. If you can find it on Amazon and booksellers, called Seth Bullock, Black Hills Lawman. Tell a little bit about, if you could, you mentioned Saul Starr. Even though he's not a dynamic personality, he is still a big part of Seth's life in Deadwood. Can you talk yes, a little is. bit about Saul Starr? Well, it's, it's, you know, he's almost an enigma because it's so interesting that Bullock, well, they met in Montana, they met uh both you know Bullock was in the legislature in Montana that's where they he lived for nine years or so before he came to Deadwood and Saul Starr was there as well and he uh, Saul Starr worked for the territorial government so they met when there was legislative sessions in fact they started rooming together uh, sharing a room then they got into business together in Helena Bullock was his main profession was an auctioneer and, and Saul Starr was kind of a businessman. I think he got business for Bullock to auction. Then when the Black Hills Gold Rush started, they came together. Uh, they traveled together to Deadwood. Uh, it's always Starr and Bullock in, the, in their business. And I'm interpreting that Starr was brought the money to start the business because Bullock turns out to be not a very sound business person. He always seems to be short of money. Uh, somehow he makes uh, odd investments sometimes, which don't turn out. But nevertheless, so I think Star was the lead business person. I think he was the lead money man, so to speak. He had the money to get the business, and they arrive in Deadwood, August eighteen seventy six, and and start getting into the open an auction house, and uh, then they gradually get into the hardware business, and they, they eventually sell everything: wagons, uh, china. Uh, Guns, you name it, gunpowder. It's a it's a good business, and but Bullock quickly gets involved with uh, city governance, and then he becomes sheriff, 
And then he gets into mining business and he gets into other activities. All the time, Saul Star's back minding the store. And then they open other stores and it's always S&B or Star and Bullock Hardware. And they, I think it's again, Star kind of leading the business. Well, they eventually dissolve their relationship. And I think it's because Bullock kept running into financial problems and Star, I think, got a little frustrated with this. So about 1894, they separated, which still had a long run. Uh, they probably were partners for almost 30 years, which is quite a term. I I can't find information about the personal dynamic. I call Starr kind of the inside man. He handled the business. Bullock was the public man. But were they personal close friends? I don't know that. I, they worked together. But, you know, I have stories from Bullock's son-in-law, where Bullock, he wrote a diary, and he does not like Seth. Well, Seth didn't like him. Uh, it's interesting that he'll write a story. I went to see Seth's daughter today. I went to the Bullock house, and he would not talk to me. He would not recognize me. And then he'll write, found Seth downtown. He was drunk again. <laughs> and, and, and Seth liked to drink. There's no question about it. I don't think Starr did. He was much more straight. You don't read about him uh, being involved in debauchery. Uh, he's very, he's not in the papers, but eventually when they, when they, when they're working together later in the 18, 1880s, 1890s, Starr runs for the mayor. He gets on the city council, then he becomes mayor and he starts running more influence in Deadwood than Bullock had, you might say, because he's mayor for a while. And when they start, in the 18, about 1890, start developing the town of Belfouche, working with the Fremont Elkhorn Missouri Valley Railroad, which really was the town developer, they, which developed on the Bullock Star Ranch. It was really Saul Star that kind of led the charge there. So at that point, Star has a lot of influence in Deadwood. And it's interesting about this guy. He'll use his power to his will, which I guess all politicians do at some point. But, uh, for instance, w one time at a mayor election, Saul Starr will be opposed by a, a guy that runs a bar. Well, as soon as the election's over and Starr's reelected, he'll make, there's an, an ordinance of the book that bars aren't allowed to be open at certain times or they're limited in this or that. And Star orders his, that guy's bar closed. No other bars, just the guy that opposed him. <laughs> and, and this guy protests. And, and then when they're trying to get the railroad to come to Belfouche, it's Saul Star that works with the railroad and says, look, I'll help you get through Deadwood where you want to go if you promise to build the Belfouche. And they do. They make the swap. So Saul Star can be uh, use his political influence constructively for his advantage and Bullock's advantage as well in the end. He's mayor for a while. Then when he's done being mayor, he goes on to be clerk of courts. And he does that for, I think, for the rest of his life. Never gets married. I think he lives in an upstairs apartment on Main Street in Deadwood for most of his life. Uh, he will, he's not buried in Deadwood. He, when he gets elderly, he goes, lives with family. I believe it's in Missouri or so. I've never followed that up, but he's buried elsewhere. So he, he doesn't, you know, besides the time of mayor, he does, as a businessman with Bullock, he doesn't leave a strong record, uh, except for opening the stores. And well, it's an interesting story there, I suppose, but as, Mayor's story is public, and it's an interesting story, but one that's never really engaged me to write about, I guess. 
it's probably worth a good article, that's for sure, which I guess I should do. But he's an interesting guy and important to Deadwood. At least maybe a good pamphlet, like a 10-page pamphlet or something. Nothing, maybe a supplemental to another Deadwood story or a history of Deadwood. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. You, You mentioned in a, you actually mentioned it just a little while ago that you had corrected some of the untruths that were written yeah, about yeah. Seth Bullock. Can you expand on that? What were some of the untruths that you corrected in your book? Well, one of the, there's a couple that will come to mind immediately. One is the stories out there that Seth Bullock was in town when Wild Bill was killed by Jack McCall. That happened August 2nd, 1876. And that Bullock presided over the trial of Jack McCall and that Bullock became the owner of uh, Wild Bill's guns, or at least one of Wild Bill's guns. In reality, that never happened. Hmm. Bullock arrived August 3rd, the day after Wild Bill was shot. In fact, he writes a letter back to his hometown newspaper in Montana saying, we arrived in Deadwood on August 3rd. And, and, and he'll later admit that he was not involved in the Wild Bill affair. In fact, he wrote his own memories of Deadwood's early days, and he talks about Wild Bill's death. Now, one thing you learn about Bullock, particularly as he gets later and he, and he remembers his past, he liked to exaggerate. He liked to embellish the things he did, and, and particularly when he's telling it to young people, like Theodore Roosevelt's children, whom he used to entertain. But anyway, he never once in that book connects himself with Wild Bill's death or Wild Bill's trial or Jack McCall's trial, pardon me, at all. And if he would have been involved, he would have written about it, his involvement. But he wasn't. So he, so that's one thing, that he was not contrary to some stories. The second story that's a big one is if you visit the Bullock Hotel, you're probably bound to hear that Seth Bullock died in room 213 and his ghosts haunt the building yet today. Uh, no, he Maybe his ghost haunts the building. I can't swear to that. But he died in his home, and his home was on Van Buren Street, right next to what today is the Adams House. The house has been moved. It's it's not an original location. It still exists, but it's not an original location. He died in the house. He was put on display like they used to do in the parlor. And then the next day, they... The pioneers, the Society of Black Hills pioneers, hauled his body up the hill to the top of Mount Moriah, which was just up the hill from his house, and planted him at the top of Mount Moriah, above Mount Moriah, right below White Rocks. So he did not die in the hotel. Uh, and in fact, you know, you read articles about the Bullock Hotel today as being a luxury hotel and being a fabulous place that Bullock built. No, it was classified as a traveler's hotel. It had one restroom per floor. The rooms were small. I think, what did I read? I have it written down here someplace. It's a three-story building, but it had like 60-some rooms. There were small rooms. And it's the fact that it was not this luxury hotel can be attested to by the fact that promptly after the Bullock opened, the city agitated to build the Franklin Hotel, which was much more luxury up the street. So it was not a luxury palace like it's portrayed today. It's remodeled. It is lovely today. It is luxury today, but it was not built that way. So, and he, and Bullock never ran the hotel. He did not want to run the hotel. He started building it 
he got a build, and then he turned it over to Fred Evans's family. Fred Evans is a big name in Black Hills history. Another guy that deserves a history. He helped start Hot Springs, South Dakota. He ran big freight lines. He did everything, Fred Evans. And his son ran the hotel for a time. Uh, just, in fact, he finished the hotel building, and he started the operation. And the hotel corporation was taken over from Bullock by him, and then eventually sold to George Ayers. If you look at the building today, the Bullock Hotel, it doesn't say Bullock at the top. It says Ayers, and that's because George Ayers owned the building much longer than Bullock ever did. And he took out the Bullock name that was originally there and put in Ayers. So those are some of the myths that I try to address and, and try to set straight uh, about Seth Bullock. Well, then you brought up now another question. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Mount Moriah Cemetery. Yeah. What was the reason? Because I, I've been there. I, I've been there. Uh, and I'm going to give a shout out, and you, you, in in embellish not embellish it, but continue with it. I'm going to give a shout out to the folks that run it because that cemetery is darn clean, amazingly taken care of. Even the smallest little corners, like when you go over the hill, and there's like a down on the back side of this little hill, the lawn is still ma- manicured back there. Then you have a visitor center. You've got super clean bathrooms, parking, and you get a wonderful site map that shows you where everything is at. So whoever the docents are and the volunteers that are running the cemetery, like they get an A++ rating. I, I don't know who's doing it, but fantastic job. Well, there's a city operation, and the city maintains it. Oh. And uh, so the, the city has employees that go and take care of it. Now, as you probably know, Deadwood has gambling. And under the state constitution, the, the, the net proceeds are supposed to go to historic preservation in Deadwood. It doesn't really work out that way. The state has managed to find a way to funnel a lot of the, the proceeds away to other causes. But Deadwood still gets a nice chunk of change. Uh, to, do, uh, to dedicate to preservation. And part of that money is to maintaining and upgrading their cemeteries. They have the Mount Moriah and they have a St. Ambrose, another cemetery not nearly as famous. But so they put a lot of money into making stabilizing the walls and uh, the cemetery walls on Mount Moriah because it is on a hill mm-hmm. and there are, there are walls around the graves, maintaining it and making sure that it is well maintained. There is an admission charge. I think it's a dollar or two. I think it's kind of up to two dollars a person, but that's nominal for what you do. So it is very handsomely taken care of by the city. They know it's a star attraction and they make sure that people have a positive experience there. The city of Deadwood does spend a lot of money to make sure that uh, the town has its history well displayed. Uh, for instance, the Bullock book and the James K.P. Miller book were partially funded uh, by the city of Deadwood. I'll give a little backstory there and a little shout out to the city for their, their support of history publications. Both of those books were published by the South Dakota State Historical Society Press. Many years ago, Deadwood gave a chunk of money to the press saying, this is a revolving fund that goes to publish Deadwood slash Black Hills books. We want to make sure Deadwood is represented in historic publications done by a scholarly press like the South Dakota Press. And so what they did, uh, the state press will publish the book, the Bullock book, uh, using that money, and then the money is repaid as the book is sold. So the, the, the body of the account is supposed to always be intact, 
as more books are published and the proceeds go back. But it's a great seed fund and it really helps. And that's just, these are a couple examples of the things Deadwood does. Uh, with their preservation money and, and really helps enrich the experience visitors have in Deadwood. Well, they did it because it was fantastic. Really fantastic. Yeah. One of the most beautiful cemeteries I've been to. Yeah, so, it's, it's nicely done. Goes back to my original question. What was the reason or was there a reason for putting Seth and his wife at the very top <laughs> Is it because in my eyes, when I stood there with my wife and I looked over, I said, well, Seth can see it all. Well, that's part of it. Well, it's a, it's a, it's a great story. Uh, of course, let me kind of give you a long version. I apologize for the no, long no, version. I like long uh, versions. Seth Bullock, okay. <laughs> Seth Bullock was a great admirer of Theodore Roosevelt. And, you know, Theodore Roosevelt died in early 1919. And so he promptly led the Society of Black Hills Pioneers to build a monument uh, north of Deadwood on a mountain that was called Sheep Mountain that got renamed Mount Roosevelt. So there's a tower there. You have to walk to it, but it's well worth the walk uh, north of Deadwood and Roosevelt Tower, Mount Roosevelt. Well, Bullock wanted to always keep Roosevelt in his mind, even in death. Well, so at Mount Moriah, he he picked out a spot above Mount Moriah, right below White Rocks, where he could sit there and he could see across the hill to uh, Roosevelt's tower, Roosevelt's mm-hmm. monument. He could see it from there. And then you had that great expanse of Deadwood down below. He could see the entire valley. And he originally said, well, we want this property here because you can see it all. You can see the Roosevelt Tower and the memorial to Roosevelt. He wanted the Society of Black Hills Pioneers to buy that and make a park so they could look over this town they created, the pioneers created, and look over to uh, Roosevelt. Well, right before Bullock died, the park hadn't been developed, but they had the property. Bullock said, I want to be buried there. And they honored his wishes. They took him up there and they planted him in this area that was supposed to be a park. It's partly so he could see the Roosevelt Tower in death and he could see, look over the town that he helped develop. As you know, the epitaph on his gravestone says Seth Bullock, pioneer. And that's what he wanted to be seen as. He developed this as the pioneer spirit. Uh, as Tudor Roosevelt said about Seth Bullock, he's my ideal typical American. And, and that's this community builder public servant, hard-hitting man of the West. And, and by golly, that's he's up there looking over his domain. Funny, you know, he died in 1919. His wife died, what, 20, 30 years later. And she's buried with him, and it says, his wife. <laughs> you know? And I always, when I talk about this at presentation, I always say, you know, pioneer and his wife. I guess she was fine with it. She could have changed it. She lived a long time. She could have said something else, but no, she, she's his wife, but that's the way it is. That's well. And another thing about the city of Deadwood, Mike, is that now they're, they're allocating money to improve the trail up there. Cause you probably walked up what used to was like a little two track road from the top of Mount Moriah to Bullock's grave. They're going to improve the path up there. So it's much more better. It's a better way to get up there. Uh, and I look forward to see what they come up with. Because I, I did take that, I think it's like a paved trail, a little paved road, and I, I the altitude killed me. I mean, I was close to being buried right there, and it was going to say Mike Mayberry, Pioneer. Um, there you go. <laughs> but 
Now, was the the headstone that's there now was that the original headstone, or is it had has it had revamps? My my understanding, it's original. Now, really? I I could be wrong, but my understanding, it's original. Wow, I didn't even know about the Roosevelt Tower. Now we got to come back. Now yeah, you do. It's, a, it's well worth a it's well worth a visit and. And Bullock put it up there because he wanted – that's a spot you can look out to the northern plains, great expanse of the country. And Bullock – because when they – when he told the pioneers, we need to build this monument to Theodore Roosevelt, and he made him uh, an honorary member of the Society of Black Hills Pioneer. So uh, the, some of the pioneers said, we need a monument in Deadwood so people can see it. And Bullock said, no, it's got to be up on a hill so he can see the northern plains and you can look out the northern plains at towards north dakota that area that uh, theodore roosevelt loves so much and so it has that expansive view of the north and of the, the sweep of the hills to the south and uh, if you look at the tower it's 35 feet tall it's very rough it's made out of rough stone and and kind of mortars kind of sticking out and bullock wanted that on purpose he said that depicts the rough edges of the West as Theodore Roosevelt knew it. And, and so it's a, it's got a lot of, you know, a lot of story behind it. And they dedicated it on July 4th, 1919. And General Leonard Wood came out. Of course, he was, uh, Theodore Roosevelt's friend, uh, helped Theodore Roosevelt lead the Rough Riders. Uh, he gave a dedication speech. The governor of South Dakota was there and the senator from South Dakota. It was a great event. Thousands of people showed up. And of course, just in 2019, they celebrated the 100th anniversary of it. And the Forest Service now controls it and they've got stairs in it. They've improved it so you can walk to the top again. It's a long time it was closed. It's, it's well worth a nice visit. It's, it's a nice hike through the woods. Uh, to get there, you, you have a parking area. You can walk up there. It's 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 a great. It's well worth the visit. Gonna have to come back. I'm gonna have to come back. I'm gonna have to hire David as my personal tour guide. <laughs> well, I have given walking tours of Deadwood many times in the area. It's, it's good fun. Okay. All right. So if you're talk, wondering who we're talking to, we're talking to David A. Wolf. He's written a book called Seth Bullock, Black Hills Lawman. You can find it at booksellers and Amazon. On Amazon, it sells for uh, $12.95. Uh, definitely worth uh, getting it. Uh, I will say this. I get lots of books from uh, different places and publishers to do podcasts. My library is, I'm actually getting ready to purchase another uh, bookshelf. And this is, David's book is the first book I've ever taken with me and I travels because I, I travel weekly to some place different across the country for, for work. And uh, his is the first book that I've ever taken with me in my backpack and read on the plane. Um, it is just so good. It, it, it just goes, he's got a real quick introduction and acknowledgement and then boom, he gets right into the heart of the book, right into the heart of Seth. Really fantastic. It captured me just right off. Um, well, and, and, and yeah, Mike, let me interject that uh, uh, a summary of Bullock's life will be apparently appearing in an upcoming uh, version of the Wild West History Journal. As you, you plug the Wild West History Association and, and they have an annual publication and there will be an article about Seth in there, which the members of that group should be looking forward to. Awesome. Well, the only way you're going to get it if you become a member of the Wild West History Association by joining at wildwesthistory.org. You mentioned, and please correct me if I'm wrong. I hope you do. I hope you correct me if I'm wrong. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you mentioned in the book, because I'm, I'm just now at 
at Ashes, Rebuilding from Ashes. Okay. On that chapter of After the Great Fire. Yeah. yeah build, building Upon the Ashes. Um, you mentioned in the book somewhere, I don't know where, that Seth really never got the recognition that, say, Wyatt Earp did or other famous lawmen because he never really engaged in shootouts or gunfights and that, you know, it just wasn't his style. Did you, is that, am I correct in that? That he just, that's correct. So why do you think it is that a man of, of Seth's background and the way he handled business is just not remembered the way that some other people are? Well, again, I think it really comes down to what do we remember in Wild West stories like Wyatt Earp and, uh, you know, Wyatt Earp was involved in the OK Corral. What is the OK Corral? A big shootout. Uh, Wyatt Earp and the, the Vendetta ride. I mean, that, that's, you can't make that stuff up. I know a lot of people have embellished it, but it, and Bullock did none of that, you know, and he, he did not engage people with his guns. Uh, there was not in, now there were bad guys in Deadwood for sure, but there wasn't anything analogous to the Cowboys that, that the Earps had to deal with at Tombstone. So that type of, villainy if you will or violence or opposing sides didn't exist and didn't require seth to put on his gun and do much shootouts there's a great story where there's uh and i have it in the book about a fight between two mining companies up in central city just a little bit to the west of deadwood uh where the roar and the keats mine were in a gunfight because they had a claim conflict and and they're shooting each other and one of the mine owners is killed and it's an ugly fight and Bullock shows up, and he doesn't even, from what I read, pull his gun. He just walks between the warring parties and stops them. And then he arrests these guys from the Keats mine because he thinks they're the culprits. Uh, and, and so he has this presence, apparently, that can interject himself in a violent situation without needing to use violence. In my research of Bullock, I've only twice read where he actually discharged his gun where it, it was meant to be in a criminal situation once when he was sheriff in the in the helena he was sheriff there for two years and he was chasing a, an escapee and he shot at him and then when here in deadwood he went up to try to arrest a couple of uh, blackburn and wall they were kind of famous outlaws and his gun accidentally discharges and then he kind of gets in a shootout with them but to no effect, uh, as far as I can tell. Blackburn is injured. I don't know if Bullock got him or one of his deputies. So he just was not involved in his big shootouts. He was not meeting a, a organized gang of outlaws. He didn't get involved in this type of stuff that lives in the Wild West region. As his grandson writes in his book that I mentioned earlier, when Seth Bullock hit the streets at high noon in Deadwood, uh, he wasn't looking for a gunfight. He was looking for his lunch. And, and you know, I, I like to describe him as a reactive sheriff. He, you know, he would only go and intercede when something was going on. He didn't go out and look for troublemakers. There was lots of violence in Lower Deadwood, at least gunfire and stuff. But unless it was done in 
bad temper, unless it was done to shoot somebody, well, let him be. That's the boys playing. You know, there were like 60 bars in Deadwood. And, he's, and as far as I can tell, he never arrested anybody for drunk and disorderly behavior. And so he just wasn't involved in the violence that makes gunfighters famous. Uh, and since he's only sheriff for nine and a half months, you know, his, his experiences were limited. Now, later to become U.S. Marshal, but he was late in life. And I, I find it interesting that when he becomes U.S. Marshal, and Theodore Roosevelt appointed him that position, and it was a position he just loved. He says, Bullock said, this is the highlight of my career, U.S. Marshal. He was supposed to move to Sioux Falls. That's where the U.S. Marshal's office was in South Dakota. But he stayed in Deadwood. He wasn't going to leave. And the local press said, well, this is a fat job for Bullock. And it was kind of. He let his deputies run the marshal's office. He had like six deputies, and they ran the states for the U.S. Marshal. And and for he was a, what, marshal for quite a few years, eight years or so. And, and he... So he just wasn't involved there either in anything that would highlight his career as a gunfighter that it can tell tall stories. So he just doesn't have the fame. You know what I like to think? Why wow, he had a greater fame as a public servant, as a capitalist, and that stuff doesn't quite sell like Wyatt Earp chasing down uh, the outlaws that killed his brothers. You know this type of thing. Fair enough. In your research. Was there something that you read that even for an historian, as distinguished historian such as yourself? Oh, thank you. (laughs) I'm buttering you up for a great question. Okay. (laughs) Okay. That you researched for the book where you even sat back and went, holy cow, what did I just read? Huh. Hmm. You know, I, I don't recall a moment like that, uh, at least in the Bullock story. Uh, I guess, you know, I, 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 when I have moments like that, they mostly come about things I read that are wrong. I say, I can't believe I just read that about him you know, or I heard that about him. You know, uh, did you, I don't know if you saw the HBO series that came out about Deadwood and Seth Bullock. Uh, had a big part, and I thought Timothy Oliphant did a wonderful job uh, playing Seth Bullock and portrayed him well. But there's like they show Seth Bullock there marrying his sister, his brother's widowed wife, or whatever. And I, I can't believe I saw that, you know, or heard that, or I can't believe they put that in there. But anyway, those are more of the moments that you think, oh, that's just going to cause more people to ask questions about what's the truth. Um, I guess the thing that catches me most is when you come across something that seems semi underhanded, like when Bullock and Star, well, like Bullock and Star were trying to get the railroad to their new town of Belfouche. The people, there was a competing town called Minnesota, and the people of Minnesota had come to Bullock and they trusted him and said, could you, I, we know you work with the railroad. Could you go to the railroad people and have them come to see if they could come to Minnesota because we need the railroad? And Bullock said he would. Well, instead, he and his partner, Saul Starr, worked with the railroad to bypass Minnesota and to build a Belfouche. Well, 
when I first read that, I thought, well, you know, I wonder if that's true. Well, the more I researched it, oh, yeah, it's true. And, and so he has this underhanded side. And just like he wanted the, <laughs> he, he wanted the county seat to be moved from Minnesota to Belfouche right after Belfouche was established, we had an election and Minnesota won. It maintained the county seat. Well, then they had another election in two years. And this time Bullock wasn't going to be shortchanged. He went out and hired cowboys to come in from around the range. He hired miners to come to Belfouche and he put on a party in Belfouche to get these guys there so they would all vote. <laughs> so he stuffed the ballot box and sure as Dickens, Delfouche became the county seat because of Bullock shenanigans. And so I, I, it's one of those things you go, well, you know, uh, it doesn't surprise me because still sit back and go, that sounds so like frontier politics to me. And I, it's interesting that Bullock was involved, <laughs> you know, so it kind of makes you this sit back and think about the things that went on. Well, we're talking to David A. Wolf. He's written a book called Seth Bullock, Black Hills Lawman. You can find it at bookstores at Amazon. On Amazon, it sells for $12.95. So if you live in Europe, uh, Australia, um, places where shipping is expensive, I urge you to go to Amazon. You can see a book review there. You can see the cover photo. And I urge you to get it. It is a fantastic read. Very fast. Not very fast, meaning that it's easy, but it very fast because he just David just gets right into the heart and right into the meat of uh, Seth Bullock. Well, Just thank you. Fantastic. Well, thanks, Mike. And, and one thing about the book is well, it's called Black Hills Lawman, but really that's only one chapter because he's on the lawman for nine and a half months, really. Right. Share. It's a lot, there's a lot of stories about the Forest Service, about being uh, running mining operations. You know, the guy is so diverse and so just amazing story about, I think he had an amazing life. Just makes my humdrum life seem boring. Well, I'm only halfway through, and I'll be half. I'll be half, I'll be done. Hopefully, here in about a week. Um, if I find out that something we didn't cover, we're going to have to come back and and crank out another one. Um, hopefully, you betcha. okay. There you go. So now, sometimes I ask two or three ending questions because we're we have ten minutes left, five minutes left. Actually. Okay, five minutes. Okay, five minutes. And it's going to be a time machine question because I think that this one warrants a time machine question. And that is if you, David Wolf, could get in a time machine and go back to any part of Seth's life, see it, not be involved in it, no, have no photographs taken to change history, but you could see it, where would you go and why? Oh, I, I would probably go back to Deadwood and... August 1876, not to see Wild Bill get shot, not to see the trial of Jack McCall. That's that's not my interest, really. I would go back uh, like the second week in August 1876 and stand on Main Street across the street from where Starr and Bullock are starting their store. I'd love to see these two guys open their store, get their business going, and then across the street, Right across Wall Street from them is my, the guy I wrote the other book about, uh, James Keith Miller. And at the same time, he started his grocery store. I'd love to see these people walk the streets of Deadwood. I'd love to see their, the origin of their businesses in Deadwood. I'd like to see, you know, I write in the, I took the Miller book that that corner of Main and Wall was the early center of Deadwood's business. 
uh, you know, Saul Starr became the postmaster. Uh, so people came to their building to get the mail. Uh, down the block were the most notorious brothels and drinking establishments. All the drinking establishments were all up and down Main Street. But the Badlands, as they called them, were right below Wall Street. So you saw this was the hub of life. So I'd love to see these guys starting their businesses. I'd love to see them walk the streets of Deadwood. And I'd like to see the, the tumult of people in Gold Rush Deadwood, August 1876, up and down Main Street, which I envisioned to be muddy and mirish and, and ugly and, and stinky, you know, with cow crap everywhere. And uh, that, that's what I would do, Mike. That's it, right then and there. Yeah, exactly. All right. Fair enough. Well, I I can't think of a better time, you know, just to just to get into the the spirit of it all. Gotcha. Well, we're talking to David Wolf, David A. Wolf again. Uh, he's written a book called Seth Bullock, Black Hills Lawman. You can find it at booksellers and Amazon. Um, anything you want to add before we go? Anything you're working on that you got coming up? Well, interesting you ask. Uh, oh. I've been contracted by the South Dakota Historic Society Press to do some uh, like tourist guides. And these are history guides of the Black Hills. And I'm working on right, right now a detailed walking tour of Deadwood. Uh, there are pamphlets you get and there's historic signs that Deadwood has up. But this will be much more detailed. I've done uh, three history guides, which will be starting to come out this summer. They're about 100 pages each of different portions of Black Hills uh, that talk about the history. It's a, you know, you travel through, if you love history, there's so much history that people don't know about as they drive through the main roads of the Black Hills. And this talks about every, all the locations where history happened. And so those should be starting to come out this summer. Wow. That, that, that right there is worth a re-trip re back to Deadwood. I, yeah, I yeah. just got to come back. I mean, honestly, there was only one part of Deadwood that disappointed me. So what's that? I love what Tombstone did by closing off Allen Street to vehicles. <laughs> yeah, me too. I like that. <laughs> right. And I wish that the main street in Deadwood, with a, the cobblestone street, yeah. that that would be closed off. Now, I know that traffic would be insane in the summertime on the streets yeah. back behind, but I wish that section would be closed off, say, between 10 or whatever the busiest time of the day is, like from 11 to 4 or 11 to 5, to where a person can walk Deadwood and feel like they're in Deadwood. Because um, it, it's beautiful. It's a gorgeous downtown. But that was one something my wife and I thought about. We were like, why? If, 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 if they could close off Tombstone, why can't they, you know, Allen Street... And make you feel like you're back in time. Why couldn't that one stretch, that one area of town be closed off? Because if you could, oh my God, it'd get rid of all the motorcycles that are cranking their engines and the cars and the trucks. And it would almost feel exactly like you said, like being in Deadwood in the 1800s. Well, I think it would certainly help, Mike. I can't uh, argue with you at all. Uh, yeah, like you said, people would, the business owners would protest. They like the traffic, but you know, it was great when they eliminated the parking on Main Street. When I first started going to Deadwood, people parked on both sides of Main Street and it was just crowded. The street was crowded, parking, and it was just a mess. 
I'm glad they got rid of parking. Of course, during the rally, the motorcycle rally, they bring parking back for motorcycles. But I agree. You, when I do the walking tours of Deadwood streets with some friends or a small, when I teach, I have taught black history classes. And we always do a walking tour and motorcycles come by and they can be fairly loud and you can't even talk to the people that are next to you because of the noise. I, I would love to see it shut off, but I know. Uh, business owners will probably protest for whatever reason, but and like you say, the traffic would be insane. But I agree, I'd like to see it closed. And it's not just the motorcyclists, because I've got friends that are motorcyclists. I just happen to mention it, so yeah. please, if you listen no, to a, right. yeah, if you're on a Harley and you're like, oh, I hate this guy already. No, I think it cars, no, trucks, no. vehicles, anything, just close the stretch off. Yeah. So, all right, I agree. So you come back uh, for a part two if we need to. Okay, sure. And will you? What about your other book with the? Uh, uh, industrializing um... the Rockies. Yeah, that. If you want to talk coal mining, I, I I'll talk coal mining. <laughs> are you a member? I, are you a member of the Western uh, Mining Museum in Colorado Springs? I'm not. I've visited there. You know, I, I'm a member of a mining Black Hills Mining Museum, and I'm on their board, and I very much support the national group, the Mining History Association. In fact, in 2018, we had the International Convention for Mining Historians in Deadwood, which is a great, great. Yeah. Uh, a conclave of people, uh, 300 up to 300 people attended. Uh, so that's the mining groups I'm mostly involved with. Okay. Well, I appreciate everybody. Of course, I want to thank uh, the Wild West History Association at wildwesthistory.org. I want to thank uh, the Tombstone Epitaph, one of Arizona's longest-running newspapers at tombstoneepitaph.com. Also, you can find Wild West History Association on Instagram, uh, my good friend Dave Guyton is taking care of that, and Pam and Dave are taking care, or Pam and Eddie are taking care of uh, uh, Wild West History Association on Facebook and YouTube. Go over there and check out Bugs on the Windshield. They've got some amazing videos out that are being produced uh, by a fantastic group of people, and uh, so you can find them on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, and of course, you can find me on uh, all the podcast channels, including iHeartRadio, um, iTunes, and Spotify, uh, through Cochise County underscore travels. You can also find me on Facebook and Instagram at Cochise County underscore travels. Um, so if you want to get a hold of me there, that is the best place to do so, not DM me personally, because I probably will not respond because I'm not sure about it. But uh, if you want to get a hold of me through Instagram or Facebook, remember Cochise County underscore travels. Uh, again, I appreciate you. Please leave a rating and a review. It helps with distribution. I appreciate you a bunch. We got more coming up in 2024. As always, safe travels. And we'll see you soon.